If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. If you don't know why you're writing a book, it's almost impossible to write the correct book, right? So if I don't know what I'm trying to get out of my book for myself, then why am I even writing this? Like, why am I doing this? The question you have to ask about anything you're doing at all is why am I doing this? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome to Superhumans at Work by Mind Valley. I'm your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And before we get started, tell me, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? Would it be your body, your career, your relationships? Thankfully, you don't have to choose. As a Mind Valley member, you'll get instant access to the wisdom of world-class personal growth teachers and programs that can evolve you in every way for just $2 a day. Are you ready to make a change? Start transforming your life today at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have a good friend, a mentor, and someone that's had a key influence in my life that I really want each and every one of you to pay close attention to if you've ever had an important message to share, an idea that you felt that more people should know about, a process, maybe just a story that you feel should be captured for the benefit of all of those around you, whether they're familiar or strangers. And going through one of the processes they say is one of the most important things that we should do in our lifetimes to leave a legacy. I'm talking about writing a book. Writing a book can seem like an impossible task. It might seem like something that's on the other side of the fence that might not be accessible to you, but I'm here to share that there are some ways to access publishing your own book that are more available today than they have ever been in our history. And there are some services that are available and people that can guide you through that process. Myself, 
I'm just in the process of writing my first book, and I wouldn't have done it without the support of Scribe Media and this man, Tucker Max, who's coming here today to share some of the processes and steps that you can go through if ever you've had an itch, a thought about writing a book. And I will tell you, it'll be one of the most beneficial things you can do to maximize your impact as a superhuman as well. For those of you who are not familiar with Tucker, he is a best-selling author, three New York Times number one bestseller books, and the co-founder of Scribe. And the company Scribe takes people through a series of processes and steps to get them to finally publish their book, whatever it takes to cross that finish line. They've built the process. They've taken hundreds of people through the finish line and publishing amazing books from authors such as David Goggins, for those of you who are familiar, Robin Sharma, The 5am Club, and so many more amazing pieces of literature have come out of his process. And I'm so excited that he's going to be here to talk about the fears that might come up, the process that you have to go through, the first steps to get started, and how to take it home. Tucker, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Now, as I said, I've went through your process. So this podcast episode is really intimate to me because I know what it took. And I might want to start there, like, because you've written a few books yourself. You've worked with hundreds of people that have written their books. Maybe I'd want to start there. For anyone who has that thought of writing a book, what does it take? Like, what's the first step you need to have, or what do you need to have within you to even get started on a process like this? Personally, I believe everyone should write a book, but I, I don't ever tell someone, oh, you have to write a book, because I, I don't think that's fair. I think. The way you're going to finish your book is you're going to choose to come to it, right? If you do it because I want you to, or because you feel like you have to, or there's shoulds involved, or you feel pressure, I'm not saying you can't finish, but that it's a lot more difficult, right? And so I, honestly, the first question I would ask myself if I were in the audience is, do I want to write a book, right? Truly, like the answer might not be obvious. Then really, this is the kind of the first step in our process. Ask yourself, well, what would I hope to get out of writing a book, right? What do I want to get? And there's two ways to answer that question. A lot of people will start answering, well, I can help people and then they can learn this. And what your audience gets from your book, what your reader gets is very important, but that's actually not what I mean by that question. I mean, what do you want to get selfishly, right? And I don't mean selfish in a negative sense at all. And it could be something difficult to define as personal satisfaction. What I think is fantastic. Like that's a totally valid reason to write a book. Or you can maybe want to get prestige, visibility, status. Uh, you want to get leads for your business. You want to get people's awareness of you. You want to establish a business. You want to, I want to get the joy I get from sharing my knowledge and watching other people grow. I want to grow. I want to knock this off my bucket list. Personal growth is a huge thing that people come in and a totally valid reason. Legacy, right? I want to, I want to teach my kids what I know. I want to leave something behind for my kids and grandkids and great grandkids. There's a ton of reasons, right? We kind of boil them down to three main buckets though. Fame, fortune, legacy, right? And I don't mean fame in a bad way. I don't mean fortune in a bad way. Fame can be anything attention-wise. Fortune can be anything surrounding sort of making money off of the book, whether it's direct sales or indirect getting a business or clients. And legacy, I would say, as the broadest sense, are the things that are hard to measure, but important, right? Personal growth, uh, impact on others, things like that, right? Those are all very important, but hard to measure. 
And so the question becomes, why does that matter? Well, if you don't know why you're writing a book, it's almost impossible to write the correct book, right? So if I don't know what I'm trying to get out of my book for myself, then why am I even writing this? Like, why am I doing this? The question you have to ask about anything you're doing at all is why am I doing this? Because if you don't know why for you, you're doing it. Well, I mean, like if you're doing something, you don't know why you're doing it. You're part of someone else's plan instead of your own. Right. And so, but if you know why you're writing it, then you can start getting in the the correct direction to write the right book for you. Right. So let me give you a really good example is let's say my goal is I want to be a well-known thought leader in the tech space and I want to keynote big tech conferences. Right. That's my goal. Okay, cool. So now I know the next two questions are, well, who's my audience, right? For my book. Right. And the audience, obviously, if my goal is tech influencer and keynoting tech conferences, the audience are people who pay attention to tech and people who book speakers for the major tech conferences. That's my audience. Right. Which are basically people who are in the tech world. Right. So then the next question is, why are they going to care? Right. Why do what do I have to say that's useful or interesting to those people? And. Like, let's say I might be like, oh, I don't have anything to say that they care about. Then it's like, okay, then I know I can't, the goal I have is not realistic for me right now, unless I acquire some knowledge or, or skills or something to put in a book that I know is going to be interesting and valuable to them so that then they listen to me and then I get what I want, right? Make sense? Yeah. Those are the three questions. If you answer, it's called positioning in a book. And if you answer them well, your book is going to be really well positioned to reach the audience you need to get what you want and to influence the people you want to influence, which is the entire point. You said something in there that I think is also important because if ever someone is sitting there and they're like, wow, I need to write a book. I want to write a book. But like you said, I don't feel like I have anything valuable to say at this time. Even with the intention of writing the book, you can now actually make some decisions in your life that allow you to be more strategic in the way you acquire knowledge. And then you can live your life that's so growth-minded because there's such strong objective of writing a book. Which brings me to this question, Tucker, is that, okay, I want fame, I want fortune, I want legacy, but why a book? Why not a blog? Why not a video? Why not an online course? Why is the medium of a book so important or different than any other medium out there? Okay. So there's a couple of different reasons for that. One of them is honestly an accident of history, right? Books have just been around for thousands of years. It depends how you define book, but in the broadest sense, books have been around for thousands of years and are one of the most durable, everlasting, and recognized forms of conveying information right? Edgardo just said the Lindy effect, right? It's exactly, Lindy effect is what Nassim Taleb says, however long something's been around, it's going to be around that long as well, right? So you know books are going to be around, your great, great, great grandkids are going to see your book, or at least your book will be around. Maybe they don't read it, but it'll be around, right? Because they've been around for thousands of years, they're going to be around for thousands more, right? Whereas like Snapchat, it's been around like eight years, maybe. So we know it'll probably be around about eight more years, Maybe it'll be longer, maybe not. We have no idea, right? Okay. There is a a long-term success rate and a lot of cultural cachet that goes with books, right? Now, here's the other thing I really like about books is that the part of the reason there's a cultural cachet, it's not just an accident. It's that 
any genius or idiot or anyone in between can spend 10 minutes and dash off a blog post, right? But it's hard to write a book. Now, yeah, there are idiots who have written books. Make no mistake about it, right? But line up a thousand business leaders in a room in the broadest sense of the term business leader. Every single one of them has put something on social media. Every single one has written a blog post, right? Or done a video or whatever, right? How many of them have written books? Maybe 10%, maybe 100, probably more like 50, right? And so it, if someone cuts to the front of the room of those thousand people and say, if you've written a book, please come over here into the VIP, it's going to be a small room, right? And the reason is, it's not that of those thousand, they're all stupid and only 50 people had something to say. No, probably all of them had multiple books in them. But if you take the time to do it, it like you said earlier, it's a risk, right? Writing a book a nonfiction book, a nonfiction business personal development book. If you do a bad book, yeah, you can look bad. Absolutely. No doubt. Like there, I've known people who have written books and they weren't very good. And yeah, I don't want to say they ruined their careers, but they, they either wasted a lot of time or they kind of let people like, Oh man, I thought that dude was smarter. Right now it doesn't happen often, but it definitely happens. Right. So you're taking a risk. You're showing you can commit to something that's long-term and difficult and follow through and do it. You're also putting your knowledge on display, right? Like I can say, I know how to write a book, but until I actually show you in a book, like I, I have a 500 something page book on how to write a book. Then you can, now you can read it and say, okay, does this dude actually know what he's talking about? Like we have clients from my company who spend, you know, $150,000 with us who actually read the scribe method book ahead of time. Not because they, they, they want to learn how to do it themselves. They know they're going to hire us or they know they're going to hire somebody, but they read our book and they're like, okay, these people really seem like they know what they're doing. This book is amazingly comprehensive. I don't want to do this myself. This book is better than anyone else's on the market. This is who I'm going to work with, right? So, I, I mean, I can keep going. Those are the main reasons you want to write a business book. Now, I'll tell you, I'm focusing on business book. Memoir is also extremely important, but they're not the same thing. And they're very, very different. So if you're out there th thinking, well, I want to tell my story and the business stuff or nonfiction, even though your story is nonfiction, it's not a teaching book. That's totally valid. We can talk about that too as well, but they're not exactly the same thing. I want to make sure people out there be like, but I'm just trying to tell my story. It's different. I would think for the majority of the people here, they're definitely going to be looking as being like superhumans at work. They're going to be probably more focused on the business nonfiction side, but I do know that there's a caveat here. All right. We can focus on that. And then if people want to ask questions about it in the memoir, we'll, we'll, or the Q &A. we'll do the, for the memoir part, for those of you who are Mind Valley members, we'll, we'll ask some questions about this after in the Q&A. For those who are listening to the podcast, know that if you want to be a member, go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. You can see these live interactions in the additional Q&A as well. But Tucker, for me, I remember when I got started, it was really this idea of committing to something long-term and putting those ideas down on paper actually allowed me to refine those ideas in a way that I never had before. Like going on stage, right? Because I went and I had this keynote. It was like, I, I remember when I was talking about selling with love, which is the concept from my book, I had three loves in selling. But then as I'm writing the book and I had some great feedback and editing from your team, I was able to actually refine the idea, make it better, fastly improve it. And now it's crazy because of the fact that I went through the process of writing the book, 
now when I do talks about it, I'm so much more confident. I have so much more research behind it because I went to do this hard. It's task. a forcing function. Now a book is it's easy to think, you know what you're talking about, but when you have to explain it to someone, then you see. Oh man. And then having to edit line after line. And even before I get into kind of the process of writing, there was a powerful exercise we did together, which, you know, all this sounds good. If I'm sitting here and I'm like, wow, I definitely want to leave a legacy. I want the fame. I want the fortune. I have an idea. I have people I want to help. All of this are starting to line up. But then it's like, there's a ton of hesitation, fears that come up. Why me? Can I do it? Will I finish? Will I look ridiculous? Will my book suck? Do I suck? Are people going to laugh? Like there were, I remember I had a list of fears that came up. And so I wanted to talk about what are the major things that we need to overcome from a fear perspective for people that can at least get us started and thinking like, wow, I can do this. Yeah. So like you said, in the workshop that we run, we have a coaching program and then like a ghostwriting program, the coaching program, we have people list out all their fears, right? And you had a huge long list, which is super common. Those people list 20, 30 fears. Almost all of them boil down to, or are some version of, I'm going to look stupid. Like that's really what it is. I know it is for me, man. I've written 10 books. I've actually, Jason, you got to correct your intro. I've written four New York Times bestsellers, not three. You're, you're kind of screwing me here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I have actually written four, but not like I've written a bunch and, you know, done all this sort of cool stuff, whatever. And I still have the exact same fears. Like these things don't go away. It's not like, oh, I'm not afraid of diving anymore because I've dove into the pool. No, like I'm still, because every book I write, I'm stretching myself. I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to go deeper. I'm trying to improve my craft. And the core question always is, am I going to look stupid? And it can come up in a million ways. Do I actually know this? Do I deserve to write about this? Are people going to laugh at me? Is this actually going to help anybody? Am I wasting my time? Uh, does everyone else already know this? I mean, I go on and on and on about the fears, right? So depending on the fear, it depends on the answer. Where do you start? The first thing though, this is why we start our process with asking yourself, what do you want? Because for a lot of people, it's actually really hard for them to, myself too included, to own that they want something from the book. Right. And that actually is, beginning there brings up a lot of issues for people. It's easy for them to say, oh, this can help other people, other people, other people, other people. Like you can see right now in the, in the chat, a bunch of people are talking about, oh, yeah, I'm writing a memoir for other people. That's great. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right now if you write a memoir for other people, you're either not going to finish or it's going to be terrible. The only reason to write a memoir is for yourself. First and foremost, you edit your memoir for other people, you write it for yourself right? And same thing with, with uh, any book, especially nonfiction, you got to start with yourself. And a lot of people are afraid of claiming that, okay, I want something. That's like that fear by itself is absolutely book stopping for a huge number of people, right? Then once you, once you're able to own like, yeah, I want to be more famous or I want to be well-known for my idea, or I want my kids to understand what I do, or I want, I want to be able to reach more people or whatever, right? Once you own that, then it's like, well, do I actually know this stuff, right? <laughs> do I know what the hell I'm talking about? Imposter syndrome is a huge issue with a lot of people. There are some people who should have an imposter syndrome. It's never the people who do, <laughs> <laughs> the, the people who have imposter syndrome were all, I, I can't really think of an example, a counter example that I've personally ever dealt with. It's very frustrating because we'll get people who come in 
And like, they want to write a book on a really big topic. And I'm like, okay, you don't know that topic. And it's real clear. They, they know stuff. They just don't know the topic they're trying to write on. And those people never realize this until they get far down the path. But the ones who like come in who are genuine experts are like, oh, I don't know. If I know this, do I know enough? And I'm like, and then I'll be like, you're one of the world's experts in this. You've been doing this for 30 years. Look at all this amazing stuff you've done and you don't know. <laughs> it's always the way it works, Jason. It's kind of remarkable. Well, Tucker, I have a great example, which was one of my uh, people that was going through the workshop with me. The the gentleman that was doing the, for people that had, you know, when they swallow. The esophageal they issue, stuff. Doug. Yes, his name yes. is Doug, yeah. Yes, Doug, that's it. So Doug was like the foremost surgeon for people that had esophagus issues and not being, and it was like, do, should I be writing this book? And everyone in class was like, are you kidding me? You're the best. He saved <laughs> hundreds or thousands of people's lives. And he's like, I'm not sure that I really know enough. <laughs> His book just came out. It's amazing, man. Like he, he literally the first day, oh, amazing. this first week, he got an email from someone who's like, I stumbled across this book, searching for a specific esophageal issue, blah, blah, blah. I took it to my doctor. I realized I wasn't crazy. You know, I got on this other uh, uh, thing and he was like, his whole thing he wanted was I wanted someone I don't know to buy this book and have it change their life. And he was like in tears and it was, a, and the dude like, well, you, you were there. He almost yeah. didn't write the book because he was afraid he didn't know, know enough. Yeah. And for those who might be curious about what this book is, I want to make a free plug because Doug is an incredible man. It was called Esophagus Attack, yeah. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's the title. Yeah. So super proud of him. But again, so if you have imposter syndrome, it's kind of at least a hint that you're not delusional. And quite frankly, there's some things you can do to reduce it. Like you can be like, all right, why do I have specifically imposter syndrome? And then you can start identifying, well, I need more research. I can do this. I can do that. So would that be kind of a way of acknowledging the imposter syndrome and then handling it? Before we continue, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mindvalley membership. For all of you personal development junkies like me out there, growing in one area of your life just isn't enough. That's why we made Mindvalley membership to bring you the best personal growth programs on the planet so you can evolve every day in every way. Whether you want to get crazy fit build a business, or manifest more money in your life, there's a quest for that. And now you can access every single one for just $2 a day. So if you're striving to become the best self and live the life you deserve, try out Mindvalley membership at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. So what I always uh, do is I'll go up to them and be like, okay, so hold on a minute, Doug. So you're a doctor, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, your specialties and stuff. He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, how many patients do you have in a day? He's like, oh man, I'll see anywhere from 15 to 20 patients a day. And I'm like, okay, so you're scamming them, right? He's like, what? No, not at all. I'm like, well, but you're charging them money, right? He's like, I said, yeah, of course. I'm like, well, then you're screwing them out of their money. What? No, and he kind of got defensive and flustered. And I'm like, well, so you're actually helping them? Yeah, of course. I'm like, okay, so you charging them money for your knowledge and the knowledge is valuable to them. Yeah, I've got, you know, like, and this part, I'm like, okay, so you know what you're talking about. He's like, oh yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> I see what you mean, right? And it really is easy to, from the outside to see it. It happens to me all the time. I'll tell you, this is the curse of the expert is because you know something so well, it seems so obvious to you and thus so useless. Well, everyone knows this, right? Even if rationally, that doesn't make sense. Like, dude, I went through this uh, years ago at the beginning of Scribe, and I still feel this way. There is still a part of me that's like, this is so easy. 
writing a book is so obvious and so easy. Like, why doesn't everyone know this? And I don't mean that arrogantly. I just like, it's just, it's that sort of expert blindness, I call it, right? I've been in this field for so long, I've forgotten what it's like to be a beginner and not know this. And obviously, like, you're a really smart dude. You've spent no time before this studying how to write a book. So of course, you wouldn't know how to do it. You're not dumb. You're just ignorant of a process that I spent time learning. That's it. That's the only difference. And so like, I understand that objectively. And so I show up, I teach it. I teach my heart out. It works. It helps people. But there's definitely still a part of me that's like, I kind of don't understand irrationally why everyone doesn't get this, but they don't. And so I let them, that's the thing I teach. I let other people tell you what the value is in terms of your expert knowledge, not you as a human, but like, you know, if people wanted to pay me for my knowledge about woodworking, I would do it. No one does. No one's ever offered to pay me for that because I don't know anything, right? But they, a lot of people want to pay me a lot of money to help them write books because it's very valuable to them. A hundred percent. And, you know, I wanted to get into something that people can really sink their teeth into in this podcast, which I think is going to be so valuable because I know you already have a book school that you offer people to learn this process. And do I dare say, how much does that cost? Zero. I thought so. So it's absolutely free for people that want to go through a book school with you, which I think is super valuable here. But I want you to maybe touch on some of the big scope. So number one, we've identified like we need to have personal reasons, whether they're linked to fame, fortune, or legacy. This is really important. And it's okay. Like you have to have a selfish reason because you're going on a big journey. You're doing a big project and you have to have the right reasons aligned with you. We talked about the fact that fears are going to come up. Yep regardless, whether it's imposter syndrome, fear of looking stupid. But once you acknowledge these fears and that we all have them, there's some specific steps you can go through. And I know in our workshop, we kind of did fear reasoning, which was a really powerful thing. But at the same time, you just have to acknowledge that these fears will come up. There's steps you can do to mitigate them. But for anybody who's feeling blocked, right? When it comes to like, okay, I'm motivated. I'm not afraid. I just have no idea where to start. We've already discussed a bit about having that positioning nailed. So you know like who you're doing it for, how it's going to help them, and you've acknowledged it's valuable. What's those first steps I should take to kind of clarify my ideas and really get started with writing a book here? So the mistake a lot of people make in writing a book is they'll be, let's say they get past all those obstacles and they get really jazzed about it, right? Like I can get people motivated about writing a book. I can tap into the, the reasons they want to and help them get all that energy up and then they go. But if you go without a plan, then you're just going to run and run and run until you realize you're lost, right? Imagine if you, like, you're really excited to exercise. Like, I'm going to go running and like, okay, go. And then you just start running, right? And then you don't pay attention to where you're going. And then like, you look up five miles later and you're like, I have no idea where I am. Okay. That's why you need to know where you're running before you start running, right? Okay. Same thing with the book right? Exact same thing. And it's really simple. So if you go to like, uh, you talked about scribe book school earlier, go to scribebookschool.com. It's totally free. We actually have our exact process that we use with our paying clients up there for free, right? First you do positioning, which I told you three questions are, what are you hoping to get from it? Who's your audience? Why are they going to care? Once that's clear, then you kind of know what your book is. Then you really need to start outlining, right? And we, we go a little deeper with those questions. But it's a very simple process. We basically tell people to think of it like like you're teaching a seminar or like you have a really interested friend like you. Like if you said, came said, hey, Tucker, uh, let's go for coffee. I want you to walk me through how do I write a book? Like, tell me exactly what to do, 
right? And we could sit there for a few hours and I would tell you every single exact thing, right? Okay, think of that as your table of contents then. If I'm teaching Jason, a smart, interested friend, sharing my knowledge, what's the first thing I would tell him? What's the second thing I would tell him? What's the third thing I would tell him? Use that as a rough table of contents, okay? Now, once you have that, then uh, what I like to do is outline the chapters, right? And not too much. Like I said, you go to Scribe Book School, it has our outline sort of template, but I essentially like to say, okay, where am I going to start? Like, what's the hook for the chapter? The interesting thing, what's the chapter about, right? And then what stories do I want to tell? What points do I want to make? What stories do I want to tell? Okay. It's almost like a little bit like a brain dump, except it's organized, right? And then I do that for, let's say I have 10 chapters. I do that for all 10. And man, if I can spend an hour or two hours outlining, that's all I do. Now, a lot of people want to spend time, a lot of time on outlining. I'm going to tell you for 80% of the listeners, more than an hour outlining is a mistake. Now, there are some people who are just like, I've got to spend a lot of time. It's kind of how they think. If they're not very organized going in, they, they go off. Also, the other people who need to spend more time outlining are the ones who in the outline process realize they don't know what they're trying to say, right? Then you got to take a step back. Either one is fine. But for most people, you kind of actually know what you're trying to say. You have a good idea of it. This is the first time you're organizing it. You're better off taking a short amount of time to outline and then actually diving into the writing. And I'll tell you why. Because the best way to figure out what you know and don't know and then organize your thoughts is by writing the chapter, not by trying to outline the chapter. Unless you are really a great outliner and you're used to outlining, I would tell you to organize your thoughts through writing, not through outline. Right? Because and also it gets the fear thing, right? Once you start outlining, it's sort of like um, imagine you're trying to go running, right? Should I spend three hours? putting on the right outfit and planning my route and adjusting my Fitbit. No, because then I'm never going to run. Like it's going to be two hours later. And it's like, oh crap, I got a phone. I got a Zoom call, right? And then I don't run. You don't want to do that. You're better off just throwing your shoes on, knowing your basic route and going, right? You don't want to run out of the house barefoot and you don't know where you're going. Just the minimum stuff to make sure you're, you're going to be safe and you're going to get back on. Same thing is true with the book. It makes a lot of sense. And I went through this process with you. So just as a recap for people is like divide it out into chapters. And even the way I looked at it is even I, I used what I would use in a presentation that had key slides, almost gave me directions of how I would want the book layout to be. And so organizing it by chapter, and it was kind of like a one line statement per chapter that I ended up doing. So like, for example, my first chapter in my book was why you hate sales. So my book is all about selling with love. The first chapter is why people hate sales. And the thesis is I show the history of why a lot of people have hate around sales. And, that, and that's the point I want to make. And then the two things you talk about that I, for me, this was, this was game changer to get me the momentum throughout every time is just what's the points I want to make. So I would just bullet, like, I want people to understand, like, there's a reason why you hate sales. There's a lot of elements of why you hate sales. And I would outline it all there. And then I would talk about stories, I would say, and the stories were great. Like I talk about, you know, when I was young, I remember going door to door selling chocolate. And by the fifth door that I went to sell chocolate, there was a young girl that came down to buy chocolate. I was 16 at the time. She was also 16, ends up being my first girlfriend. So isn't it by coincidence that I write a book about selling with love with my first girlfriend involved at the other end of a sales process, right? But all of these stories, I just started mapping them out. And then once I had this structure, like you said, I didn't need to spend an entire amount of time with it. But once I had it, then I was like, 
whoa, I have a lot to write about. And so I want to go to that next step, which I think is the most critical thing that unlocked my possibility of writing a book. Because if I wouldn't have been guided, I would have been like, okay, I have this outline. Now I need to go write every perfect sentence. So I would go in, I'd be like chapter one, I'd start writing a sentence and then I'd start judging the sentence and then I'd rewrite it. And then I'd be like, oh, but should I have a quote here? What should be my headline? And I wanted to edit everything as I was writing it. But I know you have a very different approach at Tribe, which I think is mind-blowing. So we have a, a very specific strategy to avoid this. What happens there, literally in the brain, the creative part of the brain and the editorial part of the brain are both very important, but complete, they're literally different parts of the brain. And you cannot use both of them at once. And generally speaking, in most people, the editorial brain is essentially the same part as the judgmental brain. And so it, it destroys the creative process, right? Like you can think of it roughly. This isn't exactly true. So if there's any like serious brain scientists out there that are going to have a hissy fit, but this is roughly true. The left side of the brain is the editorial judgment side. The right side is a creative side, right? Okay. So, so what you want when you're writing is to stay as much as possible in the right brain. And when you're editing to stay in the left brain, but what happens is if you try and switch back and forth, most people can't get back into the right brain once you've left. Think of it, create a flow. Like if you're in flow, you can stay in flow, but if you jump out of flow, you can't just come right back in, right? So what we do, what we teach at Scribe, because this is a, a true for everybody. I'm a deeply skilled professional and the same thing is true for me. We teach a process called vomit drafting, right? So what we tell our authors is the first draft, you should write straight through, do not read it or edit it as you write. Like, Literally, you write a sentence and you don't look at that sentence. You just write the next sentence and the next sentence and you keep going. And dude, Jason, well, you were there. You should see the looks on people's faces when I tell them. They'll be like, okay, I get it. I shouldn't edit, but of course I can read it. We're like, no, no, no. Because as soon as you read it, you're going to start editing it in your head. And then you're going to actually start editing it. And then you're done writing. Yeah, And you won't be able to get back to writing. And like literally, if you have to write in strikeout or something, so you can't read it. And they're like, well, what if I repeat myself? It's like, okay, then you can do, you're going to delete it later, right? Like you're going to come back and edit it later. This isn't the final draft. This is the first draft. And we call it a vomit draft because it's like vomiting, right? When you're vomiting, you just want to get it over, get it up, get it out and get it over with, right? Same thing with our vomit draft. Right? We don't even call it the first draft. You just push everything in your head out. You can see actually in book school, we go through, you see the videos where I talk about this. We kind of go through all the ways to do this. There's a lot of techniques, answer all the obvious questions. What if I repeat myself? All this sort of stuff. But why this is great is that it is, for, there's two big reasons. One is the biggest obstacle for most people is self-judgment. And so vomit drafting stops self. If you actually do it, it's suspend. You can't judge yourself if you're not reading what you write. So it is a complete free form sandbox for you to just be who you are, say what you're going to say, make mistakes, whatever. And it's no problem, right? So that's number one reason it works well. And the second reason is the biggest stopping point for most people is the first draft. If they can get past the first draft, the vomit draft, they can almost always finish. Not always, but usually, right? Finishing that draft is the hardest part. And the reason is editing is way easier than writing. 
for almost everybody, editing is, is easier than writing, right? And once you get into an editing, at least for me, way more fun, all that sort of stuff, right? And so it's not necessarily easy. It's just easier. And so what a vomit draft does is it helps you get past all your insecurities, your perfectionism. It helps you get past your fears and doubts because you're not allowed to judge yourself. And then when you come back around to read it, now you're in a place of your mind where you should be judging. And the goal is to improve, not to stop creativity. See? Hmm. It makes total sense. And I, I mean, I went through this process and I was impressed with the vomit drafting. Then I was just going for words. You know, I was just going for the maximum amount of knowledge I could drop on that page. And at the end of it, I'm like, oh my God, I got like X number of words. I was able to put together something where then I only made a switch. It was like a, a step switch. Once I put everything down on paper, then it was like switch to editing. And then I could make a drastic shift to the other side of the brain. And I was like, well, I have all this material. Now I want to take it home. Because I know one of my biggest fear was like, oh, I'm never going to finish this. But once I finished the vomit draft, I'm like, I have things to work with. It's almost like I went too deep now. I can't stop. And I think that was a powerful thing when it comes to momentum. And so for everybody listening, you know, you've been given some pretty strong steps for you to go out and understand, again, why you're writing the book, working on the outline and really drafting that out. So you got an idea of what you want to talk about. And now I would just say, start vomit draft is going to be a powerful thing that just starts the momentum. And then you're like, whoa, look what's going on. Like, I'm going to have a book put in no time, a little bit of time. But I know that there's one more thing I want to talk about the vomit draft is you you actually gave us the tip, which was like, dedicate just an hour a day and just write, just having that consistent habit. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So we tell people to do two things. Commit to an hour a day. If you can't, just a half hour even is fine. But like, But put it on your calendar. Like it Eight to nine, book writing every morning or whatever time it is, right? It doesn't have to be eight to nine. Mornings are usually best for you, but whatever. Put it on your calendar. If you can do two hours, cool. But one hour is really all you need. And then with that, give yourself a word quota, right? But make it super low. So we tell people 250 words, which is half a page. Like it's nothing. You can do 250 words on your iPhone on the toilet. Like uh, it's, it's an email. Seriously. It's like a, a medium sized email. It's almost nothing. We tell people they're like, well, I could do way more than 250 words in an hour. And we're like, exactly right. And in most days you're going to do way more than 250. The point of having a super low quota is that you're going to have a lot of days where you don't want to write where you got a ton of other things that are trying to encroach on your hour when you don't have time to sit down. Like I've got to take that hour and I've got to take my kid to the ER or whatever. Like some thing comes in that you can't write. But when you have that low quote, it's like, ugh, all I have is 250 words. I just have to hit that. I don't have to sit down for a whole hour. I do need to get 250. You can sit literally on your iPhone on a subway for half an hour, not even 10 minutes, and you can get 250 words of vomit drop down. And what that does is it makes writing a habit and it makes it an easy habit, an approachable habit, a doable habit. And every single day you can get a win. If you get 250, man, if you get 50 words down, it's a win, right? We, we say 250, that's just kind of made up because it's like so low that it's... It, if we go lower than that, people don't take it seriously. Right? So 250 is low enough that they're like, oh, I can do that easy, but high enough where it's like an actual goal. Most people though, if you actually sit down and focus for an hour, you're going to get a thousand words. No problem. Like it is super, super common. And what we'll end up doing 
is the people who kind of pay to be in the program, we have a whole, uh, they're on, they used to be on Facebook, now they're on Circle. And so people will post their word counts every day, right? Or they'll just say they've written. And so that way it's like, okay, I sat down, I did my time, I got my words and they're, they keep making progress because, and then once it becomes a habit, man, you're going to finish. It's easy. Incredible. Tucker, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all these insights. And what I want to tell for people here is maybe you had some questions that came up in your mind around like, well, how do I publish? How do I teach all of this? What I want to make sure you understand is you're talking about problems for a future that doesn't even have a book right now. And what was really reinforced with me within the workshop is the fact that, hey, work with getting a book first. And what we've covered today is the major things that'll happen that block you from actually getting started to write a book. What I'm going to tell you though, is it's easier than ever, whether you choose to self-publish, to choose a publisher, to go on Amazon only, there's so many venues that you can use to publish the book. And the biggest thing you should worry about is just get started with writing your own book. You'll be able to go to scribebookschool.com to go deeper into this knowledge and to really be able to go through that process, which I went through myself in their workshop format. But all of this is available for free. I really, really love the way that they approach this, the way they support people, and personally, the way they've supported me. So it's a great resource for all you superhumans out there that really want to get started on putting something down in paper. And I will tell you, even before I've even released my book, the amount of benefits I've had in my career, in the way I get invited to speak, the way I can communicate that makes more impact, the clients that come to me and go like, wow, I've never heard it this way, is because I've taken the time to vomit draft, start to edit, and it's translated in every area of my professional life in a way that I've been so much more confident and I can't wait to have my own book come out. I mean, that's been through their support. So if you're listening to this and you've had that itch, you now have a blueprint to get started. And I highly highly encourage it. Tucker, thank you again so much for your advice, your time. And with that, I can't wait to go into our Q&A function with our members so we can answer a few more questions. So if you're not a member of Mindvalley, you definitely want to check that out as well. Mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to find out more. We're going to give some time to our members here to go through the Q&A. Thank you so much again. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you haven't signed up already, be sure to check out Mindvalley membership. Besides getting unlimited access to our top-rated programs and trainers, you'll also join an incredible supportive community on our new Connections app. This is basically a global campus where you find like-minded friends, mentors, and accountability partners from around the world online or get together at local meetups. If you want education that connects you with kindred spirits and transforms you from the inside out, join the tribe at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman today. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.